Hello and welcome to Radio SGN. I am one of your humble hosts, A.V. Eichenbaum. Pronouns they, them. With me, as per usual, Lindsay Anderson. She, her pronouns. And it's our Pride Guide special edition of paper. Don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> it's a weird sort of cadence. Uh, Lindsay, how, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm so excited for Pride. I'm excited for Patricia to make an appearance at the Dog Drag Show this year. And I'm excited for a bunch of the events that are listed on the Pride calendar that you worked so hard to create. Well, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. And I did put a lot of those events up on the calendar, but it was really Dan Lindsley. He worked really hard. I I wish I could say it was 50-50, but with everything else I had to do this week, it was really like I did a third of it and he did two thirds. He really came through. It was hard, especially because you know, it's just hard to focus on something so mind-numbing as putting together a calendar. You know, it's good for the community to do it, but there's a reason we don't do a weekly calendar. It's because it takes someone the entire week to put it together, and it's just got to be, like, their one job. And everyone here wears too many damn hats. Yeah, did you ever read that children's book about the guy with all the hats? I feel like that sometimes, especially in June. I feel like, have you seen Spirited Away? No. Okay, well, in Spirited Away, there's a guy called the Boiler Man. He is a real name as well, but he works below this spa in the Fey realm, and he's hunched over his desk, and he's got like eight arms, and he stretches in weird ways, and he's like always working at his desk, constantly eating. He's got a big bushy mustache. It's very old, and I feel like that is my spiritual embodiment at times. I could use extra arms for sure. Definitely. You've never seen Spirited Away. That's no. crazy. Anyway, it's <laughs> Pride Guide Week. Got a lot to get to. We've got a great interview with Alex Hudson coming up, District 3 candidate. Just like I do every Pride, I wrote a letter from the editor, you know, just a sort of like a fireside chat, a little check in with our audience, with our readers. Twice a year, every year, uh, except for in 2021 when we had four Pride issues. Just <laughs> crazy. But yeah. Dear reader, I was having a smoke outside the SGN office the other day. It's a terrible habit, I know, but it gives me space to think. Sitting there, blowing smoke out of my nose, I watched as one of our neighbors took the time to trim and water the roses growing in a nearby roundabout. A task she did with great care that gray morning. A task we both knew she didn't have to do. One person went out of their way to tend to something that brightened their community. I often compare working at the SGN to working in a garden. And I often think about the newspaper's effect on the queer ecosystem around it. Over the last few years, our team has worked hard to revive this paper because we feel it is our duty to carry on a 49-year legacy of archiving and enriching a unique, vibrant, flourishing community. In a world where our identities, rights, orientations, and personhood are up for debate and under attack by legislators and fanatics, it is my sincerest hope that this garden continues to be a place our neighbors can keep coming back to. Roses, thorns, weeds and all. We are forever grateful for the support our readers give us, and we hope to continue to learn and grow right alongside you for as long as possible. Pride is power. Gay news rocks. Keep doing small acts of kindness. There's a lot of bad news out there, but the good news is that we're here and we're in this together. A.V. Eichenbaum, SGN Editor-in-Chief. 
reading that, I got a little emotional there, trying not to tear up a little bit. We work really hard here, and the paper means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to everyone else on the team. And I don't know. It's pride. So let's chat about pride stuff. Are there any pride events in Seattle that you're looking forward to attending? I mean, I'm really looking forward to tabling at Pride Fest. It's a pain in the ass every year, but I love doing it. It's one of my favorite things. You know, that's kind of how I celebrate Pride anyway. Not a big festival person, you know? Don't love crowds, but I do love meeting a bunch of people. So so having that sort of thing to stand behind and, and having sort of a safe sanctuary to be like, okay, I'm in it. I'm interacting with a lot of people. Yeah, like having a home base. A home base. It's nice. Also, it's like everyone I know works on the weekends. So it's like going to events is a little lonely. I guess after this is out, I'm going to the Fremont Festival this Sunday. How about you? I'm looking forward to just, yeah, the I'm going to be photographing the Pride Parade. And that is really fun for me. As, you know, press, we get a pretty good view of everything. And that's really enjoyable. And I'm also excited for just Pride Fest in, you know, Capitol Hill. All the businesses that come out to support is super cool. And also shout out to Mod Pizza who were giving away coupons for free pizza because I used my coupon yesterday and it was very good. So thank you for feeding the gays, Mod Pizza. Yeah. Again, we got a great show coming up for you. We're going to talk about all sorts of things. There's a lot of news, a lot of events, and we got a great interview with Alex Hudson. So all that and more after these messages. Help Madrona Grace Presbyterian Church celebrate Seattle Pride on Friday, June 16th from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. at 832 32nd Avenue for their Pride 2023 Wine and Cheese event. Madrona Grace is a community that believes unequivocally in the radical inclusion of all people, so they invite you to join them for a fun evening filled with good eats, good people, good wine, and door prizes. Double the fun by bringing a friend or two. They look forward to seeing you on June 16th. For more information about Madrona Grace Presbyterian Church, visit their website at www.madronagrace.org. Radio SGN is brought to you by Poquitos, an LGBTQ-owned and operated business located in the heart of Capitol Hill, proudly celebrating their 12th Pride Festival in the Pike Pine Corridor. Presenting delicious Mexican cuisine prepared with ingredients of outstanding local sourcing, Poquitos hosts Mezcal Mondays and Tequila Tuesdays, featuring half-off on premium tequilas and mezcals. Now open for lunch and weekend brunch with open-air dining and an outdoor, pet-friendly patio. More info and reservations at vivapoquitos.com. That's V-I-V-A-P-O-Q-U-I-T-O-S dot com. Boba Up is the first self-serve boba place in the Pacific Northwest. It's the only place that provides a huge variety of drink combinations where you can mix and match your drink the way you want it. They're open late night, and they're the coziest place to hang out. So what are you waiting for? At Boba Up, you get it all there. Fun, happiness, creativity, and freedom. They're located in the U District at 4141 University Way, Northeast Suite 103, here in Seattle. We'll see you there. Looking for a fun and free family experience on Whidbey Island? Stop by the Langley Whale Center this summer to discover the marine mammals of the Salish Sea. 
You'll find unique exhibits including their daily whale sightings map, an interactive ocean listening experience in an antique telephone booth, a blue whale jawbone, gray whale skulls, fun kids room, a traveling exhibit on plankton, and their southern resident, orcas. When you're done browsing the Learning Center, you'll find a fun gift shop with local art, books, and ocean-themed gifts. Find them at 105 Anthes Street in Langley. They are open from 11 to 4 Wednesdays through Sundays this summer. Check the Langley Whale Center Facebook page for current days and hours or visit orcanetwork.org for updates and to donate or shop online. Joining me today on Radio SGN, we have another D3 candidate. Very excited to speak with her. Alex Hudson is in the studio. She's been on a number of boards. She was a part of the TCC, which is the Transportation Choices Coalition. And in 2015, she was named by Seattle Magazine one of Seattle's most influential people. Very excited to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's a nice and gloomy January Friday. Absolutely. We're getting a lot of that June gloom going here in Seattle. Let's jump right into it. You're running for District 3. We've had a couple of other District 3 candidates on the show. Why should voters consider you over the uh, myriad of people running? Well, thanks for having me. I'm really delighted to be here in, in such a long esteemed institution and media in our community. So thanks for having me. I love this district. I have lived in King County my whole life, except for my brief study abroad up in Whatcom County when I went to school up there. But I have been living in First Hill and in District 3 for over 14 years, and I just love it here. I think that Seattle is the most beautiful and wonderful city in the whole country, and that District 3 has everything good about it. We've got creative culture. We've got natural beauty. We've got a long and rich history of people. And our city deserves to be flourishing. I have a ton of experience making Seattle and District 3 be a better place. I used to run the neighborhood organization for First Hill. I have a lot of experience passing legislation and building coalitions and making real progress on the issues that matter most, like affordable housing and public transit and safe, walkable communities. And so I think between my absolute just adoration for this district, the communities that make it up, as well as my experience in making progressive change and my orientation towards action and collaboration, makes me a great candidate for making the kind of progress that I know we need here in Seattle. And you've been seeing a lot of District 3 firsthand. I've bumped into you canvassing, and I know that you kind of hit the streets every few days, if not every day, and you're sharing that on social media. What is it like getting up close and personal with members of District 3 in such an old school way? You know, not a lot of people will take the time and actually walk the neighborhoods. Yeah, I mean... I love it. Like my favorite thing about running for office and campaigning is talking to people like I come from neighborhood work, right? I'm a neighborhood based organizer at my core. And so that is the way that you win a campaign is like one door at a time, talking to folks, like showing up, saying I'm here to talk about, yes, my experience and my vision, but more importantly, how they want to be heard and what's on their minds. And I got to tell you, it's pretty consistent. People 
love this neighborhood. They love this district. They want to stay here. They want to be here. And they want it to be a place that takes care of people and where people can flourish. And that is consistent regardless of what neighborhood I'm in. And so I've had a lot of fun <laughs> talking to folks. And I've been absolutely surprised at the amount of rabbits that live in our district. Like it is yeah. really shocking. <laughs> Eastlake has so many rabbits. I lived there for many years, and it seems like the population just keeps doubling and tripling. Mm -hmm. Those beautiful quirks of the city of Seattle, you don't see, you know, on TV, or you don't hear people talk about the rain a lot. They don't talk about the bunnies. There's so much urban wildlife. Absolutely. It's like a, it's a reminder, right, that we live on a planet, not just in a city. Well, let's talk a little bit about your agenda, your platform. Let's talk about transit first. I, you worked with SDOT sometime last year, right? A friend of mine, Matt Howard, speaks very highly of you. He works there as well. I'd like to hear a little bit about your thoughts on transit and transportation for the city of Seattle. You don't yeah, drive, uh, is that correct? Uh, I don't have a car, yeah. No, me and my family, I've got a, got a kiddo in, in eighth grade, and she rides public transit to school. My partner rides it to work. Like, we don't have a car, and so... We're cruising around on the transit system or, or walking where or riding our bike where we need to go. So I'm out there all the time. Yeah, transportation is so important for a city, right? It's the lifeblood about how people, about how experiences, how our economy works. And getting it right is at the intersection of, yes, our mobility and our ability to connect with each other, but about our economic and environmental and social justice. And so I'm really passionate about the power of transit-oriented communities and good transportation systems to change the world. And so I have, yeah, been a leading expert in the state of Washington on transportation policy, had the opportunity to work on building projects or advancing projects like Sound Transit 3, right? This enormous build-out, regional light rail. When I was at the neighborhood organization, got to work on the Rapid Ride G line, the Madison BRT. As well as programs, we made public transit free for every young person in Washington last year. I've been involved in a lot of safe streets advocacy and project-based work. So I have a clear vision for a transportation system in the city of Seattle that connects us to opportunity and each other in a way that is equitable and sustainable. And the way that we do that is by prioritizing irresistibly good public transit. And that is through bike or uh, through bus lanes. That is through bus priority. That is through rider dignity. You, I know ride transit too, right? We all in our district, a lot of people do. We see like the bus stops are like not great or the frequency or the reliability is shifting. Like we have to make improvements right now to make it so that our public transit system, which is, you know, kind of up on the ropes, can thrive so that people can be connected to each other. And so there's a lot of infrastructure-based work that the DOT can do in our upcoming Move Seattle levy as an opportunity to set that forward agenda. We need to have interconnected bike lanes that are safe and, and protected across neighborhoods, not just within neighborhoods. And we need to have safe streets and sidewalks. Like you should not have to take your life in your own hands to cross the street and go to the grocery store. And the reality is that, the, that there are injuries and fatalities in our district every single day. And so we all deserve to have 
very good public transit that is accessible and affordable that works. We need deserve to have these multimodal connections within our communities. So you don't need a car to get a gallon of milk or you don't need a car to go and see your friends. And we need for all of that to be safe. Yeah, I was talking with somebody the other day and we were walking on the sidewalk. The sidewalks in District 3 are beat to hell mm-hmm. often. And that makes it very difficult for people to access public transit. And also just to, it, Seattle's a fairly walkable city compared to a lot of other cities. But if we don't keep that up, it's not going to be for very long. Let's chat a little bit about small businesses. How would you go about supporting neighborhood small businesses? Because District 3 is full of them. But as you and I both know, they are getting pushed out by bigger corporations. Yeah, absolutely. District 3 has the highest concentration of small businesses like anywhere in our state. It's amazing. It's so cool, right? This is like one of the million reasons why we all love this district is that there's like cool little shops like like in First Hill, I love the Polish Deli, the best sandwiches in the district. Like you can go and get like awesome gifts. You can get delicious food, cool clothes, great books. Like we have so much cool stuff here and we need to protect it. Our small businesses deserve to make it be easier to own operate a business in our district. And that comes with a couple of things. That talks about making sure that you have an ombudsman in City Hall. That's my job. If I get elected, small business owners, you could call me when you're having issues around the permitting or the regulating or all of the kind of spider web of bureaucracy that small businesses have to navigate while they're trying to, you know, be the best chocolatier in town and also trying to figure out how to get these plumbing permits. So I'm going to be your support of your ombudsman. We need direct assistance to businesses right now. They're facing pretty significant commercial rent hikes. And so we need to figure out ways that we can help to control those costs. We need to be incentivizing for them and rewarding extended hours so that small businesses are contributing to the health and vitality of our neighborhood business districts. And we need to make sure that the city is showing up to support public safety, community well-being, so that employees and customers feel safe and comfortable walking around and, and going to all of these businesses. So by being able to provide like direct contact, be looking at some of those upstream solutions around cost escalation, contributing in, into things like the window repair fund, to helping to streamline the way that you can operate and regulate a business. And then making the meta conditions of having enough affordable housing. So you've got a lot of customers, you've got a lot of employees and focusing on the community well-being and public safety so that everybody is taken care of in our communities and that people feel comfortable walking around. Well, let's talk a little bit about safety. I brought it up a couple of times here. One of your bullet points is a community violence prevention program and a reformed, these are two bullet points, a reformed and accountable police force. What does that look like for you? For me, what we all know is that the real source of public safety is a healthy community and that violence is on the rise in our communities, whether it's hate crimes against LGBTQ people or Asian Americans or anti-Semitism that's rampant or, you know, unfortunate incidents of other kinds of violence. It's scary for some folks, and it shouldn't be. The city should be a safe place. District 3 
should be a safe place. And so the way that I want to do that is through a holistic approach. And so what we need is investments in the reality of the things that make communities safe. That's things like community violence prevention, right? Which is places like Choose 180 and Community Pathways being directly involved deeply in community and being able to resolve conflict before it escalates. We need to have my vision for community safety includes all of government. Community safety is when there's great programs in our parks, when our community centers have extended hours and teen centers, when our streets are safe, when our, when they're well lit. Like there's all these things that contribute to community safety when children have job opportunities. Like summer programs stop bullets. And we know this from the data. So there's investments that we can be doing in people to stop violence and contribute to safety. And then the other piece is what we do need to have as we're on a pathway towards a different vision of safety. We need police officers who are enforcing the laws in the spirit and the values of our district and the city of Seattle. And so that means that we need to have an accountable police force. We need to have a police force that is trained in de-escalation and trauma-informed responses and that has the backing partnership direction and accountability to community that we can have through community oversight, data, transparency. And I think that when Seattle is the kind of place that actually has solutions for people in terms of mental, behavioral, and housing justice, and we have a reformed culture in our police department, we will be able to really make a difference, a meaningful difference in in how people experience safety in our city. Let's rewind a little bit. You mentioned job opportunities for children. Do you mean after school programs or what are we talking about? Like summer opportunities, summer jobs, after school programs, all of these things, workforce development, pre-apprenticeship programs, pathways to college, tutoring. Like, you know, I have an eighth grader, right? My kiddo is going to be going into Garfield High School next year. And our children, we should be worried about them. Our kids are not doing good right now. Like the Pediatrics Association declared the youth mental health crisis an emergency and teachers and administrators and families and communities see it every day. We see it in the wellness of our young people and their hope and belief that the future can be better. And they don't have a whole lot of reasons right now to think that their futures are going to be better. And so we owe it to our kids to be providing them with an endless pathways to getting opportunity their way. And that is through jobs. That is through community investment. That is through mentorship. That is through sports. That is through arts. That is through, like I said, apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship programs, all of which the city can help contribute to through investments, including the Families Education and Promise Levy in 2015. The other thing that kids need, that all people need, is a safe place to live. And it is an unfortunate and deeply disturbing reality that in our public school system right now, one out of every 12 kids experiences housing insecurity. I want to see our Families Education and Promise Levy in 2015 commit to ending youth homelessness. And we don't need to wait that far to do it either. We can partner with the state on projects like the building at Broadway 
and Pine that's going to be for young people through our crisis care levy. I want to fight for the Youth Behavioral Health Center to be here in our district so that we can continue to be a place that really takes care of people and our young people. It's our most important obligation is to leave a better future for people coming behind us. And that does affect the LGBTQ community disproportionately. A large amount of queer teens are unhoused compared to straight teens. Yes. And that's unfortunately it's just a fact that we have to deal with. We reported something about it a couple months ago here at SGN. You know, I'm curious, what has been the response when it comes to police reform for you? Because I know the chop was right here, Capitol Hill. Has it been positive when you talk about the cops? Has it been negative? I feel like the the thermometer, so to speak, goes back and forth, up and down. My experience is that most people are very clearly aligned that what we want is a co-responder model. So we want non-armed responses to issues that are that don't need a police officer. 20 to 40 percent of calls to 911 are about mental or behavioral health. And a police officer is not trained, resource supported or equipped to solve that issue. And so we all see people who need help who don't get it because we don't have the right person to call to do that. And so we like my experience is that people are very in agreement about that and that when we do that, then in addition to focusing on a a reformed uh, police force that is accountable to community and driven by Seattle's values, that makes a lot of sense to people, too. And so I think folks understand that the progress is a process. And right now where we're starting from is we really only have one option and that that option, which is the police, isn't able to create the kind of true safety that we all need. And so police officers themselves will be the first to say they're not housing connectors. They're not drug addiction specialists. They're not mental health providers. And so it's understandable that they're, they themselves are as frustrated as anybody about not having to be able to help people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're just about coming up on our time here, Alex. Is there anything that you would like to tell the listener at home before we head out? Yeah. I mean, the things that we, that I, you know, I wanted to also make sure we talked about, we talked a lot about urbanism stuff and safety and values, and that's all great. But I also want to just like clearly articulate that I fully understand all of these issues that we're talking about, housing and security, like the real need for police reform and the background of where that comes from, the safety of our streets, that all of these have a disproportionate impact on communities that have been targeted, marginalized, or are vulnerable. And that right here in our district, that includes LGBT. Cute people, of course, people of color, especially like our trans neighbors, our trans youth, like folks are fighting for their lives out there. And every day it gets harder. It gets harder to hang on. It gets harder to have a place to live. It gets harder to be able to afford the food in the grocery store. And it gets harder to feel like this is a place that cares about, cherishes, and like wants people to be here, wants our culture to be inclusive, wants it to be diverse, wants it to be a special place. Like I started at the top talking about how much I love it here. And of course I totally do. But there are so many people that I talk to 
who tell me that they moved here because District 3 is a sanctuary for them in a very dangerous sea of across our country. And so preserving and protecting that by making sure there's enough housing, by making sure that there's a next connection opportunity, that making sure that our children thrive is a way to honor the fact that we have an obligation when we say that this is a safe place to also be a place that provides. And I take that very seriously because at my core, I am driven, yes, by urbanism, yes, by progressive ideals, but by a very deep commitment to making sure that government gets out of the way and invests in people. That our job is to create opportunity and remove barriers. And that when we do that, like amazing, beautiful, wonderful things, communities, experiences, lives can happen. And so that's really what I find to be the most core to my why is about protecting the fact that this place is a sanctuary for people. It's been a sanctuary for me. It's been a sanctuary for so many others. And that it's our job to make sure that it can be one for the future. I think you'll find it. I've found that that's the driving force for a lot of folks working in the city, especially in District 3. It's a unique, special little place. Well, folks, you can go check out Alex's platform and so much more at alexforseattle.com. Where can we find you on social media? It's Alex for Seattle on Twitter and on Instagram, it's Alex Hudson for Seattle. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and for for being on the show. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. And thanks for doing this. I love the show. So well, thank you very much. Good luck to you. Thank you. Lindsay, you wrote about the Queer Trans Project. What's going on? Yeah, so the Queer Trans Project is an organization that was started by a trans man in Florida named Cielo Sunsere. And it is really such an important organization that doesn't have as much media circulation around it as it should. They provide free gender-affirming care products for anybody who needs it with these Build-A-Queer kits. So basically, if you go to their website, they only do Build-A-Queer kit launches a couple times a year right now because they don't have the funding to keep it going on a rolling basis but they would like to be able to do that eventually but you can build a queer kit and you can add like a binder or tucking tape or makeup really anything that will help people feel at home in their bodies and then those are shipped for free to people with discreet packaging it doesn't out you or anything it doesn't even say queer trans project on the shipping label it just says qtp it's been really beneficial for the people that have been able to use it They also prioritize BIPOC members of the community by when they open up their launches. The first half hour that it's open, it's only available to BIPOC people. And they've recently also started partnering with a program that helps transport queer and trans people to other states where they may need to access healthcare, meetings with doctors, or surgery. So they're just doing a lot of really good work in the community. And I like that we were able to shout them out in our Pride special. I mean, folks, if you're not familiar with the way we operate during June, we do have two triple issues back to back that we put out Pride Guide and then Pride Week. So you get the preview for Pride and then you get all the cool stuff that's happening in the and around the community. 
And then we're out there in the sun handing out these thick Sunday Times edition looking fuckers. But it's so great to be able to do that because we get so bogged down by the weekly news, right? The week to week, the day to day, that sometimes we lose sight of the spotlights that we could put on our community as much as we try. And looking at the Queer Trans Project, it gives me a little bit of hope, you know, a little bit of hope for things moving forward. Now, you said someone at the Queer Trans Project got in touch with you about a movie that's coming out. What's going on? It's at AMC, right? Yeah, I got an email this morning that they have an urgent call to action for anybody that's able to because AMCs nationwide are going to be premiering No Way Back, the reality of gender affirming care, a documentary that is very transphobic and is basically about people that have detransitioned. And, you know, we were talking about this before the broadcast because the percentage of people that detransition is so small And while they are valid in their experiences, these people have come to be considered as a larger majority of trans people when they really are not. So it's just it's a very hateful movie. It is going to spread a lot of misinformation about the queer and trans communities. And it's premiering during Pride Month on June 21st. I think we should put some information in the show notes on to block this very hateful, you know, it's hate speech. It's always conflicting for me to be like, well, we shouldn't ban films or blah, blah, blah. But honestly, it does come down to the tolerance paradox, right? You can't tolerate intolerance if you want a tolerant society. And that's always something that is hard to explain to people when they're like, ah, so much for the tolerant left. And it's like, well, fuck you guys. You're trying to eradicate us. You know, I'm looking at this site here and one of the production companies behind it behind this movie is called Deplorable Films, which is funny, but it's described as, and this is from Them magazine, they wrote a quick piece on this actually, described as a new label for the distribution of films that the illiberal ideologues in Hollywoke and their comrades in DC are afraid you might see. This is directly from the Deplorable Films website, which I am now on. It's right at the top. They're not hidden. They got a big old fucking eagle with a film reel. And the first thing you see is, this is not Hollywoke. Deplorable films. Democracy dies in dishonesty. Firepower to the People is one of their films. Uncle Tom is one of their films. Oh, God. Great American Race Game. Wow. Honestly, Firepower to the People, I might watch just to see what's going on there. But I don't want to pay for it. Pirate it. Yeah. Piracy is not a victimless crime. Wait, what? No, pirate pirates. (laughs) I was just quoting the ad. Right. That they used to play. Yeah. You know that music from the... Sorry, hold on. We've got to back up real quick. I clicked on the No Way Back website, nowaybackfilm.com. Yeah. And the graphic for the cover is incredibly jarring for me as a gender nonconforming person, as a person with a lot of friends who have transitioned. The symbology here is like, Nazi level propaganda shit. But before we get into that, did you know that the music for the Don't Pirate ads that we used to see on like DVDs and like all over was stolen? I love that. The like that was pirated for that ad. Like the guy who put it together stole it. And I got to in college, I had a very anti piracy teacher 
I was like a media literacy course. It's like, you got to do all of this work on copyright and piracy. I was like, oh, okay. And so I did a research project that backed up. This is why this is a bad idea. This is how the artists don't get paid. This is, you know, the only reason we have certain piracy laws is because it benefits major corporations and doesn't actually benefit. Kind of like what we're seeing with the WGA right now. I made a website about it for the class and I got a D minus because she, not because it was poorly done or poorly outlined, but because she did not agree with me. So I dropped the course and did this job instead. But the media literacy course aside, no way back, the reality of gender affirming care, they have a snake in the shape of a dollar sign. You know, you're familiar with the medical staff image. It's usually like a snake and a staff or two snakes and a staff, you know, from Hermes. Fun fact there. But the snake is in the shape of a dollar sign with two staves behind it and wings. So it's clearly medical. And then there's a scalpel and a needle drenched in blood in a pool of blood. And that's the only thing on their poster besides the name of the film. Damn. That sounds like extreme fear mongering. Yeah. Well, it also has all of these quote laurels, special selection for Toronto Film Festival. Special selection for the Butterfly International Film Festival. It's got three special selections and then a winner for Docs Without Borders, which is, I think, a, like a hyper-conservative documentary contest. I don't even think it's a full festival. Yeah, Megan Kelly endorses this movie. Oh, that's surprising. Yeah, she says, or they claim she says, this movie is great, ellipses. It's omission there for you journalist nuts out there. It was done so wisely, smartly, and in a way that's extremely compelling. It's well worth your time. So anyway, hate speech. Alive and well. And terrifying. Propaganda. Yeah. Yeah, the media is the massage, right? Like, the more people that see this fucking movie, the more people are going to be like, well, I saw a documentary that... Yeah. Like, I just don't want to have that conversation with anyone over the Thanksgiving table. Not that I don't celebrate Thanksgiving, but you know what I mean. It's something that people do, but it's like, oh, I'm going to talk with my conservative relative. And they saw this documentary that really highlights a very small amount of people detransitioning. Yeah. Well, and it sucks because it's like, I feel like the main conversation that you have, people in general have with conservatives who are misinformed about queer and trans identities is you're like you know you need to just educate yourself if you were to pick up a book or watch a documentary on transgender people you might understand it more and now they have this outlet to say oh well i have educated myself it reminds me of the anti-vax movement that was really big a few years ago when some doctor linked you know vaccines to autism and and it was disproven several times yes. over. Yes. Yeah. And then the documentary came out anyway. Yeah. All of these yeah. things. It's pseudoscience. It is, you know, real doctors, real people have proven that what they're saying about transgender people, detransitioning is so rare that they're, you know, they're blowing it out of proportion and just creating a new wave of fear. And it's dangerous. We've, we're seeing how dangerous it is. I mean, if you read the Queer Trans Project article, Sunsuray is in Florida, and he talks about like how dangerous it is living there right now. And a quote that I didn't have the space to put in that article, but he explained that even adults in Florida are 
facing critical challenges to accessing gender-affirming care, that he now can't see his nurse practitioner, who was one of the most affirming people in his life because of a law that passed in Florida. And this kind of documentary, this kind of propaganda is just making it easier for conservatives to continue to push their agendas. And it's making me really scared for the future of our country. What really kills me about the propaganda machine for the right is the vibe. You know what I mean? It's like it feels very much like, do you remember Chick Tracks? No. Chick Tracks were these little conservative comics that a man by the last name of Chick they were these little comics that would be handed out by like hyper conservative church people. You can still see them at chick.com, chick tracts, T R A C T S. And they had a lot of like satanic panic stuff going on. They had a lot of anti vax, anti like laziness, you know, but it was always like, you're going to go to hell if you don't do exactly what I'm saying. And look at this noble knight that's doing this or this degenerate one of my favorite ones is there's this like greaser kid who's like man i'm littering or whatever his life just keeps getting worse and worse mainly because he was littering but also because he smoked and drank within the next two panels is like he's gonna jump off this bridge and there's no real context for it but a priest shows up on this bridge and is like why would you want to kill yourself and he's like i'm a loser and i've got cancer because i never looked at god what? And that's the vibe that I get from these the propaganda machine on the right these days. It's like they took the chick tracked mindset and blew it up to an AMC film situation, like, you, you know, nationwide screenings and stuff. And it, it, every time I see these like little these little tiny nods to like hyper conservative thought, all I can think about is these little cartoons that have been around for 60 plus years then there's one that's like oh i played dungeons and dragons with someone cool who had a tattoo and now i'm going to hell they're like ah i can't live anymore because my rogue died in game and then because my rogue died in game my best friend is going into a cult because dungeons and dragons is clearly for cultists and they like have this really ornately drawn thing and then she's like oh yeah i would love to be a better dungeon master and then they go to like a satanic ritual and then her friend kills herself there's no logic to it other than i'm terrified and i'm drawing a lot that's how it feels when i see these things the right-wing propaganda machine in the united states is deeply rooted in hyper conservative hyper christian hyper nationalist values that have been around for a long time, but they all kind of can be linked back to this very stupid cartoonist. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about before we head out? Um, I think I'm good. <laughs> what about you? I just want to say, you know, check out our pride guide. We worked really hard on the cover. I drew some stuff and Lindsay's art is on there and Otz and Claire and Dan all have characters, little cartoon characters on the Gay News Rocks cover honestly mike and i were looking at these and you could take these covers home and put them on your wall as a poster you know they're very good looking covers you know we all worked really hard worked around the clock you know four days last week i was in the office until 8 p.m the team worked really hard production mike especially worked incredibly hard and it's a free paper so go and pick it up swing by 
during Pride weekend, swing by and say hi. You know, if you listen to the show, if you've got friends that are queer, if you are queer, I'm going to be there both days, all day. I love meeting the readers. Also, if you're looking for comedy or if you're in the Lindsay Hive and you're not doing anything in the evening Pride weekend, which would be crazy, why aren't you doing anything? But I'm going to be at a Club Comedy's Pride Showcase. So check that out. Yeah, check that out. Follow us at Seattle Gay News on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook if you still use Facebook. Uh, you can follow me personally at Photon Detective on all platforms, except for chess.com where it's stuck as Hologram Detective. If you want to kick my ass in chess, Hologram Detective, chess.com. And Lindsay, where can we find you online? Oh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm not very active, but it's at Linz with two L's like in llama. And on Instagram, you can find me at lindsay.anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-N, no O. It's a long story why. Oh, and I guess TikTok, you can find me. I am Beget Burglar. And you can find our TikTok at Seattle Gay News underscore. The underscore is very important because the other one was just a upset lesbian who wanted to get back at her ex. It's a long story, but we cannot get the handle away from her unfortunately but we stand the pettiness honestly i mean look hey grieve how you're gonna grieve you know get over it how you're gonna get over it well folks that's it for us today i'm sorry i took up so much airtime, Lindsay. i just i've been really struggling with my adhd today and i'm a little fried from all the work we've been doing you know it's again it's a labor of love and it's something that i'm happy to be doing for as long as i'll be doing it thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you in the funny pages. Have a good pride. Radio SGN is hosted by A.V. Eichenbaum and Lindsay Anderson and produced by A.V. Eichenbaum. Music for this show was provided by TRG Banks and Jesse Spillane or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on SGN.org or wherever you find podcasts. This podcast is part of the Seattle Gay News Podcasting Network.